Hi, this is the Robberator, and you can support my mad grab for power and the Sword and Laser podcast by going to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And Veronica and I are both fighting different maladies. You do sound Hooray. a little stuffied up. What is what is going on? You didn't tell me about this beforehand. No, I didn't. Uh, I'm getting over just, a, it's just a chest cold. Oh. It was like really bad Friday and mm-hmm. And now it just sounds, it's one of those things where like now it's, you can hear it, but I'm recovering. So I sound worse than I am, but I'm drinking orange juice. That's what that, that's what that all amounts to. Oh, well, I am. <laughs> Some of, of our audience may know this for various reasons, including Tom and, and Scott talking about it on Current Geek, apparently. <laughs> um, I had a throat procedure done. I had um, most of my uvula removed, uh, not the other thing that sounds like, which is a totally different procedure that would be sure. even worse to have. No, uh, don't no, do that. Not that. Um, I had what's called a layup, a laparoscopic uvula plasma maybe i don't know what it stands for um, they took out a piece of your mouth they took out a, a piece of my mouth and they carved some different parts into my soft palate and did you ask them to, to do me- initials no, it was supposed to help me not snore. I should make you talk. <laughs> um, and so my throat really, really hurts. And I sound okay, apparently, which is good. Right. Um, but the pain is indescribable. Um, oh, so, so sorry. I'm on painkillers. And uh, not the fun tiki drink kind, but the no. actual prescribed kind. <laughs> and I, I get, I, so if I get a little loopy later in the show, that's why nice. I just had to re up. Um, Tune in next week for our interview with Brian McClellan. <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Oh, but anyway, right. so we're going to be a, we're going to be a fun pair tonight, but I think we've got a lot of great stuff coming up in the show, so it should be good. Yeah. Let's move right along to the quick burns then. Rob pointed out that Ms. Annalie Newitz over at Ars Technica has an article up about fireside fiction, calling it science fiction's best kept secret. And Rob says, as a software engineer and Git user, I find the details about their use of GitHub to automate the process pretty interesting. It's a Patreon-supported science fiction magazine, uh, Fireside Fiction, and they Publish the site on GitHub. Now, if you're not someone who knows what that means, I'm not sure that we have enough time to explain what it means sufficiently. But think of it this way. It's a place where developers put software uh, so that other developers can then take it. And if it's open source, you know, use it and see the code. And there is a part of Git that lets you serve pages. Mm -hmm. And so what they've done is essentially put the pages of their site, just text files, on Git and then serve those pages into their website using a programming language. So the magic that happens is if you're an editor who knows what none of those words I just said means, you don't need to know anything. You just go and edit a normal looking page with a story and save it and it's magically published to the website. It's super clean, super simple, impressive coding. This is really funny because I actually took a Git class recently. Um, And one of the examples that the teacher used was authors. 
He actually said authors can use this to make edits to a book they're working on and be able to take out a section, essentially make a branch of the master novel to work on without affecting the master and copying over your changes until you know for sure that those are the changes you want to make. And then you can merge that branch back into the master novel. Um, so it all makes total, total sense. And I, I just thought it was so funny that I just took this because I'm a PM and so I'm trying to, to learn how to help make some some changes to our code and, and be able to you know edit things in the branch and, and help my yeah, means project manager no it no product manager product two different jobs manager. <laughs> um, PM means private manager yes so anyway this is just it was a funny coincidence but I think it's really cool that that people are are, are doing this it's a it's a really great use of, of that technology unless you hear geeky publishing thing and Patreon and think, oh, okay, so it's a bunch of people getting started in the business. Um, editors Brian White and Elsa Sunyason Henry get work from, I don't know, Chuck Wendig, Elizabeth Baer, Tobias Buckle, Daniel Abraham, uh, half of James S.A. Corey. <laughs> uh, so Ken Liu. Is he, is he the top half or the bottom half? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to get into that debate. <laughs> I know I don't mean that a ton. That's not what I meant when I said that. I meant like <laughs> if they're like, never mind. That was that came out incorrectly, hilariously, but incorrectly. Pardon her. She's missing part of her mouth. <laughs> Things can slip out now. See? Yeah, they just you know, fall out because I can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my point was trying to be like they've got really good authors contributing uh, to the, the thing. So even if you're not even interested in the whole code side of it, you go check it out. Fireside Fiction and FiresideFiction.com. That is really super, super awesome. I'd love to actually interview these authors more about using that process. Um, maybe we can get Chuck to talk about it sometime. He loves that kind of stuff. Yeah, I wonder if the authors, how much the authors uh, use it. It would make sense to have them use it, right? Because yeah. then it would be super easy. That's cool. Lauren says, uh, there's a nice set of very short sci-fi and fantasy stories for International Women's Day inspired by the phrase, nevertheless, she persisted. Lots of big names here, uh, Shana McGuire, uh, Catherine Valente, Joe Walton, etc. And this is over on the uh, tour.com blog. And it's it sounds really cool. As, you, as many of you know, and we'll talk more about this later, March 8th uh, was International Women's Day. This was last week, um, which the United Nations describes as when women are recognized for their achievements without regard to divisions, whether national, ethnic, linguistic, cultural, economic, or political. Um, so yeah, this is a great opportunity to check out some some fiction uh, by female authors and and just learn more about the, the, the women who have contributed to genre fiction. Yeah, uh, they, they started posting them March 8th, new stories inspired by those words. So uh, good stuff, like we mentioned, from Catherine Valente, Joe mm-hmm. Walton, Charlie Jane Anders, Alyssa Wong, Cameron Hurley, bunch bunch of really good stories over there. Yeah, cool new stuff. Uh, Liz wrote in and said just or didn't wrote it. She posted in the Quick Burns thread on Goodreads. Just in case anyone missed the emails, Tor sent out its March free ebook download and it's Shadow and Claw by Gene Wolfe. Whoa. That's a good free book. The ebook club pick for March. Thank you, Tor.com. A sword and laser pick. Yeah, a former sword and laser pick, exactly. Uh, so if you haven't read it yet, you can go do that and then 
do a search on archive.org or Google to try to find, that was a while ago. Uh, yeah. I know I was living in Oakland at the time when we did that one, but yeah, it's a, it's a great book. Uh, Josh Lawrence who helps out, he composed the show's theme and he helps out on the forums, uh, is the one who introduced me to Gene Wolfe years ago. And Shadow and Claw is a classic sword and laser title. If you don't know. Yeah. And we also interviewed Gene Wolfe, um, Back at the Nebula Awards yeah, in like you 2014. Did. I guess I did. You and Josh. Yeah, yeah. me and Josh. Um, and he was just, uh, what a sweetheart. What a nice, nice Aww. man. I was just so thrilled to get to talk to him. So, yeah, if you're going to be picking this up or if you just, you know, haven't been a listener that long and want to check out a great interview, um, search for that up on our website. David posted that Anna Marie McLemore has won the 2016 Tip Tree Award for When the Moon Was Ours. Uh, and David even explains, if you don't know, the James Tip Tree Jr. Literary Award is an annual literary prize for science fiction or fantasy that expands or explores our understanding of gender. Ooh, yes, that is that is a, another cool one to, to check out. Um, I've been meaning to read a lot of those picks for a long time, so maybe we'll get one of those in um, in the uh, in the club at some point in the near future. Uh, yeah, David said some guy named Tom is on the Functional Nerds podcast talking about his new book, but more importantly, his work as a DJ playing the Beastie Boys. I did. I, I got on the uh, on Patrick and John's uh, Functional Nerds podcast again. They were nice enough to have me back to talk about Pilot X, uh, which is now out. If you if you want to read my time travel book, you can you can get it now wherever books are sold, including Audible. Uh, but yeah, I told the story about playing Beastie Boys "Fight for Your Right" when it first came out on twelve. 12- single on the radio. <laughs> hey, Tom, you know, I mean, I've been, first of all, so excited to see all of the promotional stuff you've been doing for the book. But you actually haven't really talked about the book that much on our show, which is kind of weird. Do you want to just give uh, like your elevator yeah, pitch? You need to book? go through Avalon and book me for that. Oh, your publicist? I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I really can't. Oh, shut up. Just give, the, give, me, just okay. give me the... <laughs> uh, yeah, so, the, so the, uh, the short version is Pilot X is a time ship pilot. He comes from a, a race called the Elendans who know how to move throughout time and space. And he is very excited to become a timeship pilot. That's really all he wants to, to be. Uh, and he gets thrust into more and more important events through no fault of his own and eventually faces. And you actually meet him at the beginning after he's done this. And, it, and then there's a lot of flashback. Uh, he faces a decision where he has to choose whether he can save his own people or the entire universe. Um, so it's it's a it's a major decision point for him, obviously, uh, and and a fun book where I tried to respect the principle of time travel that you can't change the past, that the past is only the past because of the privilege of your particular position. Mm. And the past is the present for the people in the past and the future is the present for the people in the future. So everything has already happened. Uh, and, and I tried to navigate around that with a race of people that regularly travel through time. So they have, there's things like you meet with somebody before they know the outcome of the future meeting that you've already been to. So what was your process like? Do you, did you, especially with a time travel book, did you feel like you had to plan out everything in advance? Did you take notes? Did you do visual timelines? Did you use Pinterest? What was your, I totally winged it. You just winged the I, whole thing. I, I spent a year writing up little short 
vignettes about major events that would happen. And I did have a rough outline of, I want this to happen, then this to happen, then this to happen. Uh, but as far as the timeline stuff, I just sort of took it as it came and said, okay, well, I'm the one thing I do know is Pilot X's subjective timeline. So let me say, okay, if this happened here, then this is how he would perceive it. But this person and might have perceived it in a different order. And then there was just a lot of reading back through it to try to catch as many inconsistencies as possible. There's still a couple in there. Some we even knew about during the edit where we just said, well, you know what? That's in the service of the story. We'll kind of just leave that be for now. But but mostly it's it's a consistent timeline. And it was just going back and double checking things. Next time, will you use Git? Maybe. Yeah, I've kind of fascinated with that. Get it up. <laughs> no, nice. Uh, once again. Did I just do another? I did another. That's I think not, you might have. I didn't mean to. I just G-I-T, like, people. G-I-T. G-I-T. Like get her done. Yeah, there you go. Just get like that. Done. Anyway, um, ho- hopefully people find it interesting. So far, so far the reviews have been good. The the criticisms are criticisms that I would also have of it, which is I move you through this story very fast, and some people would have liked to spend more time with some of the characters. So hey, and that's I, a good and problem to have, right? One hundred percent fair. Yeah, that's yeah. Nice. And and some people don't like that kind of story. They're like, no, I want to spend more time in the world and learn more about it, and and that's totally fair. So this this is a somewhat fast paced novel and if it has a flaw it's that you you don't get enough about pilot x himself to understand why he is thrust in these situations but i can't i have an answer to that and i can't explain it unless i spoil the book so i'm not going to explain it right now if you have a flaw it's just that you care too much ah yeah i work too hard you just work um, too hard yeah i i don't know when to go home early <laughs> yeah what am i interviewing for a job or something? yes <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Congrats. It's it's Thank been exciting you. to see, especially all the the photos of the book in bookstores around the country and stuff like that. I know is pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, I actually went into a bookstore and bought my own book off the shelf. Were you like when you gave your credit card to buy it, were you like I didn't do anything. <laughs> she noticed. She she looked and she's like, Wait, is this you? And I'm like, yeah, this is the first time I've seen a book of mine on the shelf. And I just kind of wanted to buy it as a souvenir. She's like, oh, that's so cool. Is there another one? And I'm like, yeah, there's another one back there. She's like, would you mind signing it? We'll put a sticker on it and they sell better. And then she's like, we'll order three more. And then if you could come in, you know, and, and sign those, you know, we'll put stickers on those too. And I'm like, sure, that's great. This I'd doesn't read an audio, but I'm standing here with my mouth agape and like being impressed. I'm like, <gasps> I know. You can see that, but they can't see that. Oh, it was so crazy. That's so cool. Uh, Well, our final quick burn, I probably should have saved, we should have saved you for last so we could go into the next section, but that's okay. Nokomis.fl writes, a Nielsen survey finds UK ebook sales declined by 4% in 2016. The second consecutive year, digital has shrunk as younger generations drive appetite for print. Now we've talked about- expected? Yeah, We've talked about similar stories like this before, and one thing that are left out in these studies are audio. Right. And my theory is that, yes, people are turning back to print in part because they like having the physical copy. They like having, you know, especially if they really like an author, I want to have Patrick Rothfuss's books on my shelf, right? I don't, even if I read it in ebook or audiobook, I want to have the physical copy. On the other hand, I think a lot of people are turning from ebook to audiobook because 
you can you can listen to it in in more you know, flexible situations. Honestly, I think podcasts have really driven that. I think yeah, that like maybe. just the the popularity of shows like Serial and like all the other big ones, This American Life, Radio Lab, um, you know, all of our favorites. I think that just people are more comfortable listening to that kind of content now. And it's just more, I don't know, mainstream, I guess. It kind of builds up the pattern, right? Yeah. Oh, I listen to podcasts. Maybe I'll listen to a book too. Not to mention all the podcasts they're listening to have Audible as a sponsor. Right, 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 right. Maybe it's working. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, I, I think there's a, yeah, there's a lot of information where we're missing from these kinds of studies. All you can kind of do is really speculate like where that time is going. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's millennials or, or people of younger generation like having physical copies. Maybe they're listening to more audiobooks. Maybe they're doing something else I, with their time. I think there's something here for movies, TV and music to pay attention to because mm -hmm. we like to have things associated with stuff we like. And a book is already a thing, right? It has been a thing for centuries. So it's kind of the the sort of thing you expect to have. And it's got cover art and everything. I think not not the, the plasticky Blu-ray disc box, but I think if you came up with a better presentation and, and maybe some cool ephemera like posters mm -hmm. or something uh, along with movies and TV shows that you could sell physical copies of those as well. Even if people really want to watch digitally, they they if you're a big fan of something, you want to have an object that goes with it. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, now it is time for Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Oh, and speaking of International Women's Day, we are for our first post is about that. Yes. Um, so as we mentioned, it was uh, this past March 8th, though I like to think, you know, every day can be Women's Day. Um, but Phil said, while we obviously have our own Veronica at the helm leading the charge, thank you, there are many great women authors out there whose work may have been missed by the majority of us, perhaps even a book by a well-known woman that has not got the attention it needs. So what would you bring to the fore and share with us? And and Phil says he would choose The Paladin. Um, and uh, everyone else on the list uh, has gone through and, and posted some other uh, book picks. The Paladin, of course, being by uh, C.J. Sherry. Uh, and there's a lot of great options on here. And I actually, I went through on International Women's Day and said thank you to all the female authors that we've read on the show, um, including the ones who, who didn't have Twitter handles. And I was just, I was like, you know, there's always more work to do, but I, I'm pretty stoked by by the the parity that we've had uh, between uh, male and female uh, identifying authors on on the show. Um, and we've we've just I've gotten the opportunity to to meet and read and interview so many fantastic uh, females uh, throughout the years. It's been it's been inspiring to me, like in a huge way, um, to have these women to look up to and and to to serve as as role models. Yeah, I, if if I had to add to this list, and this list is good, like it's hard to find. Every time I think, I'm like, oh, what about Gail Carriger? Oh, she's on there. You know, what about Charlie J. Nance? Oh, she's on there. Shauna McGraw? Oh, she's on there. Uh, I think the one that I didn't see, and I'm doing a search, is Sherry S. Tepper, who wrote Grass, as well as many other great books, and sadly just passed away last October. Uh, that would be the one that I would add to this list. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of really great ones here, and a lot that I don't actually even know. Um, so yeah. if you're if you're looking for some new picks, uh, the, there's great options here to add to your to read list. 
We also have some space opera book recommendations started by Robin, uh, who says, since the sty sci-fi, <laughs> since the, that's fiction about styes. It's very limited very, medical genre. Very yeah. uncomfortable. Uh, since the sci-fi genre warm is compress a, is really <laughs> that's the, every book ends with a warm, warm compress. compress. Yeah. It's like a trope. Come on. <laughs> uh, sorry, Robin. Robin's trying to say since the sci-fi genre is a vast, incomprehensible ocean in size, I figured I should give a shout out to my fellow nerds for help. I'm a huge fan of the ragtag space opera trope with shows like Firefly, Dark Matter, and Killjoys. Does anyone know any similarly styled books? And of course, Louis jumps in with what I would have said to Leviathan Wakes by James S. Corey and Old Man's War by John Scalzi. But the recommendations continue with some really good ones from there. Yeah, um, this is this is fun. I, I thought you would get a kick out of it because you're you're. I feel like you're one of the biggest fans of space opera that I know. Um, but TRP also recommended uh, Becky Chambers's "The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet," which is a series, and I actually have the first book in that series. The first two books um, have been sent to us by the publisher, and I think "The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet" is definitely going to be a pick this year. Like, just get that. Oh, just put that on, out there. Yeah. It's if you go to our tab on potential book selections mm -hmm. in our planning document, Veronica, you can see that one has been on there. I forgot for a that bit. we have that document. <laughs> should I be looking at that document? Is that something I, I should have be checking my in own? With? I have my laser considerations there. You don't have any notes in there, so that's because I forgot it exists. <laughs> but so. it does. It it is keeping track of our our recent picks too. Well, it is one it, of your. It is one of your. It's on your genre side, so you get to make that choice. But yeah, yeah. It definitely has my well, I've, vote. I've got that. I've got Grass by Sherry Tepper that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. I've got Emma Newman's Planet Fall on there. And actually, what I want to do next March is the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. <gasps> oh, that would be cool. Yeah. So I've got that on the on the list as well. That's smart because I always think like oh here's an anniversary of something or, oh, here's a movie coming out. And now I remember that's why we made that calendar. <laughs> so we can put things onto that so we wouldn't forget. <laughs> I'm glad I reminded you. Ah, <laughs> oh, that'll make things a lot easier. This you know, is it does It does make for a better show if we do our planning in the show. People enjoy hearing about it. I, they I don't do, forget right? to tell you things. They yeah. do, right? And then Rob yeah. later can be like, no, on episode 285, yes, Tom clearly taker. said that you need to be doing this. <laughs> and I'll be like, thanks, Rob, which is like, I should just get thanks, Rob, like tattooed onto my forehead at this point. Get a stamp. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Rob. That's a good t-shirt idea, actually. Mean it. Yeah. We do mean it. Well, uh, also, I'm, I'm I'm not trying to cut you off, but I'm trying to save your mouth. So okay, let me preface I this. I, the painkillers are working. Um, oh, dear. I wanted to preface this particular article. Um, okay. So we had a great post uh, by Eric in the forums, um, and I thought that this thread would be really interesting considering our recent interview with Brittany Curran um, from The Magicians last week. Uh, it's kind of a long thread, but Eric brings up some really great points about the changes made from the book to the TV show. Um, and it is a rather long post, and it goes on, but he, he makes a lot of cool like comparisons between like how Quentin is like in the books versus on the show. He considers it spot on. Like, why did they change Margot's name from, from Jane to Margo. Otherwise, she's a great, great representation. And uh, people kind of chime in with with their uh, their ideas about the the differences between the two mediums. Um, so yeah, do, do you feel like you like the changes on the show? Um, compared? I, I've only read the first book. So for me, this current season, especially has been like, yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen. It's all good to me. 
Well, Eric posted this in January before the new right. season began. Mm -hmm. So a lot of his concerns, I feel, are addressed in this current season because I felt the lack of Thalorian uh, influence in season one myself. And of course, this season has been all about Fillory. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I feel like that that part has gotten a lot better than me. But better for me. Uh, as far as the 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 uh, Margot thing, that has to do with the fact that they thought there were just too many J names. Mm -hmm. So having Jane Chatwin and Janet and, and Julia, Julia, when you're when you're speaking, you you start to confuse them. Whereas you know when you're when you're doing the written word, it may not be as big of a deal. So that's why they they changed her name. But I'm used to it now. I I actually think of Margot as almost a different character than Janet uh, in in a good way. That said, yeah, I think they nailed Elliot. Uh, I think Julia is really good, and I think the interesting thing about Penny that I found is I imagined him as kind of a skinny bratty kid. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like punk on the outside, nerd on the inside, just like Penny is in the TV show. But in the TV show, he's a big guy. Right. And he's he's more of a tough. Punk. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's really a nerd in the TV show as much. Well, we haven't been able to see that yet. If yeah. he is, that's right. a good point. Well, so, yeah, cool thread, Eric. Thanks for for pointing out those differences. I, I love having those kinds of conversations. I think they're they're pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, so keep that thread going, folks, if you're watching the current season or you can start a season two thread version of it as well. Mm hmm. All right. Well, I think it is uh, time to check in on March Madness. The voting has been going hot and heavy uh, for the past two weeks or so. And uh, round three is starting tomorrow, I believe. March. Uh, yeah. voting, no, voting closes on March 15th at yeah. 9 p.m. Pacific. Um, so you still have, as of when this show is released, you'll have like another full day to, to keep voting for round two. I could not vote. Uh, for round two because I hit a an impossible decision. And oh, so really? I just decided not to vote for anything. So <laughs> what what's interesting is that I, I, I'm going to say this because we're so close to the end uh, and I, I'm not trying to spoil anything, but round one voting, there were a couple of decisive wins, but it, as you all saw, there were some pretty tight games, games, mm -hmm. uh, matchups. Mm-hmm. This one seems to be like the audience is of one mind in round two. Really? Yeah, it's it's not. There's one that is fairly close, but most of them are. It would it would be very surprising if in the next 24 hours this any of these swung around. Oh man! All right, I'm gonna look at these much more closely. I feel like it would be un. It would be. What is it? Can you tell what your impossible choice was? Should I? I don't want that to sway things. I don't want to okay. give any any yeah, yeah. details because I don't want people to to sway their decision one way or the other. Well, if you haven't voted yet and you're still listening before midnight Eastern on Wednesday, uh, the matchups are Mike Cole's Control Point and The Invisible Library by Genevieve Cogman. Uh, the Library at Mount Char by Scott Hawkins against The Book of Lost Things by John Connolly. Sabriel or Sabriel by Garth Nix against Mary Robinette Cowell's Ghost Talkers. 
and Howl's Moving Castle, Castle Capel by <laughs> Diana Wynne-Jones uh, versus Roger Zelazny's Nine Princes in Amber. That's a Titanic matchup there. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff here. It's going to be a really good pick no matter what it is. Like, I'm, I'm pretty excited about everything that's left so far. Um, so, yeah, get in in there and vote. You only got one chance to do it, and then it's going to be over. And don't forget, uh, if you're like, wait a minute, how's this work? Again, uh, each one of these matchups I just mentioned, everybody votes until tomorrow. And then the winner of each vote goes on to match up against the other. And then the final week, we'll have the last two books in a final vote to see which will be the April pick. So let's say uh, the winner of Howl's Moving Castle versus Nine Princes in Amber will play the winner of Sabriel versus Ghost Talkers. And the winner of uh, The Book of Lost Things and Library at Mount Char will play the winner of Control Point and The Invisible Library. And then the winners of those two would end up playing for the championship. <laughs> it's it's fun. I love this stuff. Um, but let's uh, let's not get too carried away with talking about what's coming up for April. We oh, wait. I almost forgot. Pick. What? I, I almost forgot. Uh, we, we noticed. Who was it that noticed this? Uh, that one bracket in this current round was almost all library uh, uh, st stories about books. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one I called a not book related sectional. And uh, Darren said, oh, no, the lower sectional is about resurrection. Whoa. So we've got a book related sectional and a resurrection sectional. here. Yeah, I mean, we literally have the invisible library, the library at Mount Char and the book of lost things. Yeah. All in one sectional. And all then you have. Yeah. And then you have the, you know, whenever they put like a San Francisco college in the East bracket in the NCAA tournament, which happens, <laughs> you've, you've also got a non-book uh, book in the in the book bracket as well. Control point. Mike Cole, always got to be different. Yeah, we did. We, we put him out of his region. Sorry, Mike. All right. Well, let's um, let's let's catch up with our March pick, uh, Gateway by Frederick Pohl. And this is, book has been it's a fast read. I've been listening to it on audio, um, which has been good. It's a good, it's a good audio book and we're not going to do spoilers because we're, we're still early in the month. Um, but there's a lot of discussion going on in the forums about this book, particularly around one scene that I think was a real standout negative for me, uh, that we'll talk about when we, we do the wrap up. Well, because when last we spoke, you were enjoying it. Now, I has, am. are you still enjoying it? Or okay, I am still enjoying it, but it definitely made me look at Rob, Robbie, Bob in uh, mm -hmm. in, in very very different light. Um, and I don't think I've been able to and shouldn't change my opinion about him as the book goes on. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of colored my 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 feelings about the character. Um, but it had it, it's made the book no less interesting to me. It just really like, I, I'm trying to put it in the time frame of it being, you know, written in the 70s. And, and uh, it, you can't really frame it, though, like wrong is wrong, I guess, at the end of the day, there's yeah. no like, there's no there's no putting a spin on it. Um, I am fairly certain that those of you who've read the book know which scene she's talking about. Cause I know I do. Yeah. Uh, and that the way it's written is sort of disallows you from forgiving him. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Because, because what he does, he talks you through his decision process, right? Yeah. This was not the, he basically says, Oh, I knew exactly what I was doing. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's, and if you haven't read it yet, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you get there. That's when for sure. There, yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, the, the world itself, I mean, it's such a, 
such a fascinating, like thinking about what we would do as people were we to come across this, this technology and this, uh, this, this like lost culture of an alien species and how we would react to it feels very real. Like I, I feel like potentially that's a thing that could happen in a way that we would react to it. Um, and it's very well written. And I think the descriptions of the technology and how we're kind of completely confused and, and, you know, confused, but trying to make the most of it and trying to get the most profit out of it feels very true to, to, to humanity. Um, but also the, the, the idea that you can just get on a ship and go somewhere and have no idea where you're going to end up is it, it feels very like space cowboy, like Wild West kind of feeling that that kind of taps into something that I think we can all relate to also. Well, and there's so many interesting bits of perspective that he tucks away in the corners of this that aren't related to, to Rob, Robbie, uh, Robin, Robinette, Mary Let's Robinette. Call Rob. Let's call him Rob. Okay. Does he like Rob? <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, they're not related to him, even though he's the main thrust of the story. And one of those is that idea that instead of these brave men risked their life to go where no man has gone before, which is what all of them are doing. It's these very poor people uh, had very little to lose, and so were willing to risk their lives for huge monetary return, and also go where no one had gone before at the same time, because, well, that was part of it as well. And it's almost like, don't you feel like they don't really talk? Like, I don't... hmm. I don't know if like the Elon Musks of the world would would go out and be prospectors. You know, I think like knowing that there's a pretty good chance you're going to die. Like it doesn't feel like the 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 rich people really unless they had just had such a a need to gamble their lives for for more money. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. thrill seeking kind of stuff. Um, It does seem like the people who would need to do it the most would be the ones who would be out there. And. So there's so many little things, you know, one being that if this had been written in the 50s, it would have been required to have a bunch of actual cowboy types, right? Like mm-hmm. we're just going out we defy the odds and ride the Heechee ships. And instead, nobody wants to. Right. Everyone's dealing with fighting their fears. There are very few people who do it for the thrill. Most right. of the people you meet just are gambling. They are literally gambling that. And as soon as they hit something they're out of there they don't like having to do it but they're willing to do it because they've got enough adventurer in themselves to force themselves to give it a try Mm -hmm. uh there's also this aspect of it that that is is a a, it's driven not by money as much as by health you constantly hear them talking about, well, if I get enough money, I can go on basic medical or I can go on a complete medical. Like everything is defined in terms of, and then I'll be able to afford to be healthy rather than like, oh, I'll spend my riches and, and, and buy a house. Like that's part of it. And you hear that talked about a little, but medical, the cost of medicine is the driving factor for people to want to get rich. Hmm. Weird. Yeah. Not at all timely. It's yeah, it's crazy. And then, of course, we mentioned it, I think, in the kickoff. But this idea of an alien character that's fleshed out and you you feel like, you know, by the end of the book that you never you, you, I mean, this, I don't want to spoil. But, you know, this at the beginning of this book, these are just uh, these are just antiques. <laughs> these are 
these are abandoned pieces uh, of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so overall, it's it's a it's a, an exciting fast read, and there's a lot of really good ideas in this book, and I can see why Robert J. Sawyer was the uh, wrote, wrote the forward for it and, and did the yeah. introduction to the audiobook and said it was one of his his favorite uh, sci-fi books of all time. Um, but yes, a lot of also a lot of problematic stuff, uh, you know, and, and one of the commenters on Goodreads that I, I, I'm sorry, I, I forgot to jot down their name said, you know, this is not necessarily a Frederick Pohl thing. This is just the character he has written. We don't, yeah. we're, we're not making assumptions about the author or his opinions on things. You know, sometimes characters do shitty stuff and that's, I, yeah, I, I feel like we, we sometimes in discussions, we tend to verge on assigning the actions of characters to the author. Mm -hmm. And the fact is characters to be believable have to do things that the author would disagree with for reasons that the author finds unfathomable because guess what? Look around you. People do things that you don't agree with for reasons that you find unfathomable. That is, that is a thing that happens. So having a character that is mostly likable and then makes a horrible decision is a very good, rich character. You don't have to like the character. You don't have to like what they do. That doesn't make it a bad story. In fact, what makes it a good story is that you have that kind of character. And then you judge the book on how, what happens to that character and how is that character treated and and, and what does that character feel about things and, and what do you get out of it? Right. And I think that's the most important thing is even, you know, if you read a, a horror story about a murderer, that doesn't make the author of the horror story a murderer or and, someone who thinks murder's great. And even the character might not learn something, but hopefully you will you learn do. something yeah, from the yeah. character. Um, and I think that's, you know, where the benefit comes. Definitely. All right. Well, I think that that just about wraps up the uh, the show and and the limits to what my my voice can take it. right now. I, well, we still have to go interview Brian McClellan now. <laughs> Sorry, you do anyway. I'll just sit <laughs> quietly in a corner and 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 cheer inwardly. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, as you know, our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. Uh, so thank you so much to everyone who backs the show. It is, of course, we're midway through the month. If you are a part of Lem's library, like start making your your uh, your picks. If you want us to send you something from Lem's library, there's more information about that over on our Patreon website. Um, we've got a lot of really great stuff and I have even more books that I need to enter into the library list. Yep, me too. Um, so keep an eye peeled. Um, there's going to be some good stuff coming oh. up soon. Uh, our show is currently entirely funded by you guys on Patreon, patreon.com slash sword and laser. So go check it out. There's, there's lots of cool perks there. Uh, you get a monthly silliness show at a certain level. You get lens library at a certain level. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to those books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail, 415-7-SWORD-6. We won't answer. It's super easy. You don't have to talk to anyone. Just, you know, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you're reading lately, what you're watching, whatever you want to talk about. We're here to listen. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Bye.
podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.